0: wood on Sports on Twitter and IG. That's where you can find me. And this is Ball About the South. It is in-depth sports talk with authentic Southern flavor. And I want to welcome you into another episode. It is the fourth episode to be exact. And this episode, we are now on Apple Podcasts. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please drop me that five-star rating. That is if you think I deserve it. I'm not going to tell you to sit there and drop it if you don't think I deserve it. <laughs> let me know what you think about the show and if you like it if you dislike it on all those good things but if you like the show if you're enjoying the content that you're hearing please let someone else know share it do all those good things like subscribe uh, we're also on google podcast amazon just about anywhere you can think of iheart radio over there as well Anywhere you can think of you can hear ball about the south and little old me talking about sports here on a weekly basis so Yeah, I'm just uh, happy that you uh, thought enough of me to join me for a few quick minutes here and talk some sports and chop it up. Anyway, man, let's get into this past weekend of football that we just enjoyed. Uh, It was a really good weekend. had two really huge contests involving SEC teams. We had an SEC uh, conference matchup with Alabama and Florida that took place in the Swamp. Then, of course, we had Auburn. Going into this one, man, an electric atmosphere up there in Pennsylvania at Penn State, Happy Valley, the whiteout, all that good stuff. Yeah, two huge contests right there. Alabama, you know, kind of squeaking out a thirty-one twenty-nine victory over Florida. That was uh, turned out to be a really good game when it looked like early to Alabama we would, you know, it would just be another Alabama blowout like we've been used to these last couple of seasons. Florida had other ideas, and they nearly pulled that thing out. They could have gotten that two-point conversion right there. We would have been talking about maybe another overtime matchup, much the same as we saw in the SEC Championship game a few months ago. So, yeah, that one was a really good game. We're going to get into Alabama a little bit later on. But right now, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about the Auburn Tigers. That was a crazy atmosphere up there at Penn State Happy Valley, uh, Penn State Nittany Lions with that whiteout. Uh, I think it's the seventeenth uh, edition. I think they started it in two thousand four, so uh, this will be. I guess that obviously that would not count last year since there was no there were no fans last year, so obviously they didn't do it. But so I guess that would be sixteenth. This would be the sixteenth or seventeenth edition, and uh, man. I'm tell you what that is. If for me, if that is not on your bucket list, if you're not looking to you know make that trip, if you got a team going up there, or if you just want to go up there just to be a part of that, uh, I don't think you're a real college football fan. I'm just gonna be real with you. <laughs> Man, that was crazy. That was a really good looking. I'm gonna give Auburn kudos. If you know me, if you listen to this show at all, um, you know that I'm an Alabama fan. But I'm going to give kudos to Auburn. It's kind of, you know, they kind of came with their own counter to uh, the whiteout. They came with the white face mask, which I thought was a cool touch. Now, look, I have been watching Auburn football. I've been watching them since the days of Bo Jackson. Okay. So that's early, mid-80s and everything, right? And back then, when, I think when Bo Jackson kind of came into Auburn his freshman year, they had the orange face mask, and then they went to the dark blue face mask that they've been wearing ever since. So that's about, what, 35 years or more. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they have, have worn that blue, dark blue face mask. Well, this is the first time that they ever uh, came out with the white face mask, the white face mask, and I thought it was a good look. I really did. Uh, but let's get into the game. Obviously, Penn State ended up winning the game, twenty-eight to twenty. Auburn came in to rank twenty-second. Penn State uh, ranked tenth. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, it kind of went the way I thought it would go. Even though I thought Auburn would win the game, you know, we 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 discussed that here on my last episode. The running game I thought would be strong for Auburn, and it was Tank Bigsby. Jarquez Hunter, they had big games. Tank Bigsby went over 100 yards. Jarquez Hunter went uh, and close to 70, 67 yards, I think it was exactly. This is the, I mean, you saw him hurdle the guy on that last run to get them down inside the red zone, to, Um, you know get them down around the 10 yard line on that on that really last. Uh, you know, really turned out to be their second to last chance, because obviously they did. Auburn did get the ball back there at the end of the game, and it's, you know, it was a kind of desperation time. But of course, they ran out of time. Uh They couldn't, you know, got got down to what about the twenty-five yard line, but they were unable to get the ball in. But that drive before that, Jaukweez Hunter made that that uh, leap over uh, the Penn State defender and got down the sideline to the ten-yard line, set them up first and goal and Auburn could not get the ball in the end zone. They could not punch it in. And that, you know, that along with the uh, flea flicker that started the second half where uh, the guy from Auburn fumbled the football, gave it up to Penn State. Penn State had the short field. They ended up scoring, making it 21-10, to turned to 14-10 to halftime deficit, to 21-10 just right out of halftime. Those were the two biggest instances of the game. Auburn lost the football game in those two instances. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, again, I thought that they would be able to run it enough that maybe it would overshadow anything that Bo Nix did or Bo Nix was unable to do. But unfortunately for Auburn, that was not the case. And and here, here's the thing. Uh, you know, Kirk Herbstreit, of course, they were on the broadcast there with ABC and everything. Um, he really praised Bo Nix, you know, pretty much all night, from what I could tell. And I mean, I'm not saying Bo Nix didn't have a good game. I mean, he played okay, but it was just okay. That was kind of the issue. There was nothing, you know. There were he really made no big plays himself. He, he um, you know, he made a couple passes here and there. But none of those passes really turned into um, big plays that that determined, you know, if Auburn scored or not. Not, not really. And, and of course, it came down to that, like I said, that that drive where Hunter made the uh, leap over the Penn State defender. The play, it was either the the the, the, ax, the prior play or the, the 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 second to last play before that run. You know, Auburn with the ball on around the thirty-four yard line. It was this was kind of you know kind of a microcosm of what I'm talking about. Bo Nix drops back to throw, and he has uh, Demetrius Robinson number zero. I mean, he's not wide open because he's he's beat his man. He's beat the corner. Okay, but he does the corner does have safety help over the top. But it was a window that Bo Nix should have been able to get the ball to him. If he gets the ball to him, it's a touchdown. And you're looking at the game being 28-26 with Auburn going, you know, for a two-point conversion to tie the game. And this is still with six, six, seven, eight minutes to go in the game. I'm not sure exactly how much, but it wasn't the, you know, even if Auburn scored the the touchdown and let's say they missed the, uh, they did not get the two-point conversion, there would have been time for Auburn to come back down and, you know, stop Penn State, get the ball back, and maybe kick a field goal. But... Instead of throwing the ball toward the, toward the inside, which would have been Robertson's right shoulder, <laughs> Bo Nix throws it to his left shoulder. He throws it and throws it out of bounds. Okay, and the, the ball. I saw someone on Twitter making you know saying that Bo Nix's deep ball looks like a punt, and that's exactly what it looked like because and from the thirty-four yard line. I mean, I guess you know once. Bo Nick's drops back. It was, that's what about a 40-yard pass down to the goal line. 40, 45 yards or so. It did not have to have that much air under it. Robertson had beaten his he had beaten the corner. Again, he did have safety help over the top. He did, but there was enough of a window that Nick should have been able to complete that pass. Robertson did not know where the ball was because he was looking for the ball to be on the inside. And the ball was thrown behind him. He couldn't. He couldn't locate the ball because the ball was thrown so so horrible. So, you know, those were the things that really hurt Auburn in that football game. I thought they did everything they needed to do. They controlled a lot of that game as far as the running game was concerned. But that flea flicker, I don't know what was up with that. I I didn't didn't really like that call. They didn't get enough plays from Bo Nix. No, he didn't do anything to beat them. He didn't you know, have any interceptions or, uh, you know, big you know, big fumbles or anything like that or just, you know, nothing like that. Nothing to really beat them. But the fact that he could not make plays really hurt. And then, uh, you, know, you know, another call that I did not like was the call – Uh, on that same drive when they had the ball right there I guess what the two yard line they get the fourth down and you know the the thing about Bo Nix is what we heard about him coming out of high school Pleasant Valley uh, Pinson Valley High School right here right outside of Birmingham we were told that he was athletic enough he was a guy that could run the option he could run the RPO and you know in that situation, I thought they should have gave him something where he had an option to to run it or had an option to throw the football. And they they call a fade from the two yard line to a guy that's about six foot tall. And I mean, if it, 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 I could could have seen that call if maybe they were throwing it to the far side of the field because they were set up on the right hash mark, I could have seen it. Maybe if they were throwing it to the left side, but it was just too short a field to throw that pass, and then. I don't know. This to me should have been something where they got Bo Nix out on the outside, gave him an option to throw it or run it, whatever was open, and it was just a bad call. So, anyway, Auburn, you know, pretty good performance up there at Penn State, but not enough as they go down 28 to 20. And uh, yeah, so this, this is one of those things. We'll see how Auburn does going forward. A lot of tough games for them remaining. If we get into the SEC season, but yeah, it was you know again a really good game. That atmosphere was something. So yeah, it, it was really entertaining, and uh, yeah, that's it's going. It, Penn State Whiteout is definitely on, on my bucket list, and uh, yeah, we're gonna see how we're gonna get to one of those one of these days. We're um, gonna get into my game ball from the SEC really quick. Ole Miss Rebels winning. Their game over the weekend, 61-21 over the Tulane Green Wave. Tulane had been scoring like 50 points or more per game, and they were shut down by the Rebels. The Rebels, 61 points, almost 700 yards offense. And to be honest with you, Lane Kiffin called off the dogs in the third quarter. But Matt Corral, Matt Corral, seven touchdown passes, three passing, four rushing. Incredible football game. He was—he uh, is an obvious choice for the game ball from the SEC for me. I mean, uh, Matt Corral again. I, like I've said in previous uh, episodes, I think he is absolutely the best quarterback in the SEC, and he showed that again uh, Saturday night. Now, again, it's it's too—it's too lame. and don't worry, we're going to get to see him against much better competition really soon. Uh, Old Misses off this weekend, but they go to Tuscaloosa next weekend, <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get into this episode. So, uh, we're going to talk a little deeper into Alabama and that Alabama Florida game. Uh, who can beat the Crimson Tide? Who you know, who's a good you know the candidates? We're going to look at some of the candidates uh, since Alabama nearly lost. I still think Alabama probably loses a game here. We'll see. I'm hoping they don't. I'm an Alabama fan. I'm going to be honest with you, but uh, I just don't see them going undefeated right now. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, Matt Corral, is he has earned the game ball here from the SEC. So, yeah, really fantastic performance by him. Let's get quickly into the NFL. The Tennessee Titans, what a game that was. Young man from Klein, Texas. Snap. Set. Kick. God! Yes! How about these Titans? Yes! 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 The impossible yes! situation? Possible. Everybody said it couldn't happen. And it happened. Overcoming their own mistakes and finding a way to get to one-and-one and, one and beat Seattle in Seattle. How about that? How about that is absolutely correct. What a comeback by the Tennessee Titans coming back from two scores down, 30-16 to 16 there early in the third quarter. A lot of the same things going on that we saw last week against Arizona. Uh, Russell Wilson picked up where Kyler Murray left off throwing deep balls and the Titans' secondary looking totally lost. Derrick Henry, absolutely nothing going on on the ground. Ryan Tannehill getting hit like crazy again. He he was hit, I know, six times in the first half. I think a total of nine times in the game where he was hit by uh, the Seattle Seahawks' front seven and everything. Man, just everything that you could think of going wrong. Even though the Titans were moving the ball, they had uh, Julio Jones going early in the game in the first half. Julio went over 100 yards in the first half. As a matter of fact, he should have had a touchdown, but the referees took that touchdown away from him with, you know, it was a rule that I had never heard of, okay? Now, he got this right foot in fine but his left foot came back and <laughs> he toe tapped, which to me should have been a touchdown. Look, he got the right foot in and then he toe tapped. And for me, to me at that point, the catch should have been over. But the heel of his left foot dropped and the referees claimed that the heel came down out of bounds. So his total foot, <laughs> his entire foot, did not come in, in, come in, come down inbounds, so they called it an incomplete pass. Now, you know, for me, I, I thought it should have been a touchdown, but you now, you know, whatever. Okay, that wasn't the only bad call in that game. In overtime, Russell Wilson was absolutely. Uh, if 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 he wasn't sacked in the end zone, he was definitely in the grasp. If it wasn't in the grasp, uh, it should have been intentional grounding. He threw the ball, you know toward the right sideline over there, which, of course, if it's intentional grounding and he's caught in the end zone, of course, that's a safety. Neither one of them were called. So they allowed Seattle to play, of course, you know, you know the rest of the Titans went on and were able to kick a field goal and win the game. But still, you know, two really uh, bad calls that the Titans got going for them, going against them. And uh, thank goodness it did not cost them the football game. But, yeah, I mean, everything that looked bad last week, the same things were happening this past week, this past Sunday. Derrick Henry last week he had nine yards at the half. Didn't do much better than that in the, in the first half in Seattle. But in the second half, Derrick Henry got loose. Three touchdowns. He ended up with 182 yards on 35 carries. The Titans were able to get their ball control going and keep and they they were able to keep russell wilson on the sideline thank goodness they i mean they (laughs) until those last couple of drives in the fourth quarter and that one in overtime tennessee had no answer for the seahawks none whatsoever so and this and that gets back to basically what i said in my nfl preview show a couple weeks ago i was like the tennessee titans if nothing else, if you know, if they're not going to be explosive, which I think they should be, and they showed that they could be explosive on um, Sunday, but with Julio Jones, AJ Brown, both of those guys on the outside, two physical receivers that have good size on them, and then you look at that running game, the physical running game, the physical running uh, of Derrick Henry, then you know this they should be a chain moving machine. And that's exactly what happened Sunday. They were able to keep Seattle's offense over on the bench, and they were able to take over that football game. They outscored the Seahawks twenty-four to uh, six the rest of the way after being down twenty-four to nine at the half. So, man, again, that, that was a, it was a fantastic win. Anytime you can go into Seattle, you can find you can get a win in front of the uh, the twelfth man. The way Tennessee did on Sunday, yeah, you're doing you're doing something. I mean, yes, you know, full disclosure. Yes, Seattle's defense, <laughs> Seattle's defense has holes big time. Now, one hole is they they don't have a hole. What one place they don't have a hole is number fifty-four. Okay, Wagner is. I mean, this dude was unbelievable on Sunday. And if if it weren't for him, you know, Tennessee probably would have blown the Seahawks off the field. But Bobby Wagner was incredible. And uh but other than that, I mean, this dude is basically holding up that defense by himself. The secondary is not really good. Uh Julio towards them. Uh they didn't even need A.J. Brown though. He only had three catches on nine targets. Um, you know, 128 yards receiving from Julio on six receptions and uh, of course I just went over what Derrick Henry was able to do to 100, 182 yards he was also able to um, hit them up on, on basically uh, in the passing game as well Derrick Henry had 65 yards receiving so um, yeah <laughs> Seattle has a lot to work on defensively but the Tennessee Titans showed you and they showed everyone that kind of doubted them over the last week. You know, after that performance last week against Arizona, there were people doubting Julio Jones. Was this the best move for the Titans? Should they should they have made that trade? You know, you had people doubting Derrick Henry, even though yes, there, you know, we knew that there were problems with that offensive line, including of course Taylor Lewan who really had a horrible game last week trying to block Chandler Jones. So Taylor Lewan actually sat out this week in uh this past game uh, this past week against Seattle and it, it it didn't matter it did not matter and then also there were questions about Ryan Tannehill uh and I think we all saw that Ryan Tannehill when he gets time to throw the football first of all he can make plays with his feet but when he gets time to throw the football if he can deliver it from the pocket this dude, can put the ball on the money. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday afternoon. So fantastic win for the Titans. Next up for the Titans, the Indianapolis Colts. So while the Titans were, you know, trying to, you know, stay away from being 0-2, you know, they wanted to stay out of that dungeon because we all know, you know, being 0-2 gives you a lot less shot at making the playoffs and all that good stuff well, the Indianapolis Colts are in that dungeon. They lose to the Rams 27-24, and now they have to go to Nashville and play the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. And it's looking like, well, they're going to have to do without Carson Wentz because he was unable to finish the game on Sunday, and now it's looking like Jacob Eason is going to be their quarterback for the foreseeable future. So it's not good news in in Indianapolis right now. now. This is the thing that you know, we were kind of afraid of. And I, again, I I picked the Colts to win this division. I, you know, I went back and forth between them and the Titans. I thought it was really going to be really close. Wouldn't have surprised me a bit to see either one of them win the division. But um, I kind of went with the Colts. And uh, now, you know, depending on when Carson Wentz is going to be back, depending on if he can stay healthy when he does get back. There's a lot of questions about the Colts right now, so yeah, should be an interesting game nonetheless. on Sunday, uh, that is a twelve o'clock kick there in Nashville, and uh, yeah, this this very very important game for really for both for both teams because even if you're Tennessee right now, even though you get the win against Seattle, you, you obviously you can't afford to lose a divisional game if you can help especially at home. So yeah, that was great. Obviously, <laughs> my NFL game ball. I don't have. To, I mean, there was no need to even research. There's no need to kind of go through the some of the other games. Basically, I give out my game balls with from the NFC South and AFC South teams, or a player from an SEC team. With no matter what NFL team they play for. Case in point, last week. My game ball went out to Jalen Hurts, who plays, of course, with the Eagles. And I know, I understand. He technically, yes, he's not really wasn't from the South. He didn't graduate. Uh, he didn't. Well, I'm sorry, his last year of eligibility was not spent at Alabama. It was spent at Oklahoma. I get all of that, but in my eye, he's still in SEC. He's still an Alabama. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's still an Alabama Crimson Tide alum, in my opinion. So. And actually, he did graduate from Alabama, so it doesn't really matter. So, he got the game ball last week. This week, we're going to give it to another Alabama player, and you know it's going to go to Derrick Henry. 35 carries, 182 yards, three touchdowns. He was the main reason the Tennessee Titans were able to get back in that game. A couple long runs. Uh, just, just a magnificent performance for him to just basically uh, – Okay, let's let let everyone know that I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And uh, you're going to have to come and fight me for my Russian title. That's exactly what he said on Sunday. So Derrick Henry gets my NFL game ball. And, I, you know, again, I just don't think anyone could have come close to that. So, yeah, really good stuff in the NFL in that football game. Again, the Colts game was really tight as well. They had their chances to beat the Rams, but could not get it done. Uh, you look over in the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to beat the Falcons. That was, a, you know, Falcons tried to get back in the, in that game after being down really early. Uh, Cordero Patterson had a pretty good game, had a couple touchdowns. Matt Ryan was really, you know, kind of, he was really trying to get those guys back in the game. Until he threw two pick sixes there <laughs> in the fourth quarter, and uh, it was kind of Matty Ice in reverse on that one. <laughs> and the Falcons ended up losing that game, forty-eight to twenty-five, after they, had, you know, gotten that game down to a field goal. They, they, they gotten it to a twenty-eight to twenty-five game, and actually had the ball. And uh, the two pick sixes happened. Uh, Tom Brady threw another touchdown somewhere in between there, and that was pretty much all she wrote. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to – Falcons are 1-2. Of course, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-0. You oh. look at Carolina Panthers, they were able to beat the Saints. That one was a little bit of a surprise. We know uh, the Saints are going through their COVID protocols and everything. They had a lot of offensive – uh, some of their coordinators and and uh, uh, positional coaches out. It kind of showed, but you know, you just have to wonder, man. If, it, if, if you know, you wonder if that if that really had that much effect on the way the Saints looked on Sunday. Unfortunately, we kind of saw the old Jameis Winston come back. Yeah, so it, you know, not a good look from the Saints on Sunday, and the, the Panthers. Look at here, they're two and zero. And they get a Thursday night date with the Houston Texans, who are now all of a sudden without Tyrod Taylor, their starting quarterback. So the Panthers are looking looking like they could easily go three and zero, which would be you know obviously a big surprise. I mean, not a big surprise because I thought the Carolina Panthers could really uh, be a surprise in the in the NFC East. I'm sorry, the NFC South with. you know, Sam Darnold coming down and actually having some weapons around him. Christian McCaffrey coming back and being healthy. McCaffrey had a nice game on Sunday against the Saints. You have to like their uh, their weapons. And then their defense right now, statistically, is number one in the NFL. So I'm not sure. You, it's hard to say if this team is for real. We've seen a lot of 2 and 0 teams jump out and look really good. And then they fizzle out. We'll see if the Carolina Panthers fit that bill as we go forward. So, yeah, a lot of lot going on. The Carolina Panthers, again, like I say, will play this Thursday night against uh, the Houston Texans. On That's on Thursday night football. That should be an int- interesting contest to see uh, just what the Texans can do without Tyrod Taylor, who they were doing very well, competing with the Cleveland Browns, looking like they might win that football game on Sunday until he went down. So, yeah. At any rate, we're going to take a quick break right now. When I come back, we're going to get back into the colleges. I'm going to, uh, we're going to go into just a little bit of HBCUs, a couple games over the weekend, the bethune cookman alabama A&M game on Thursday night. That game went down to the wire. We'll talk about that. And we're going to get into Alabama. Like I kind of teased earlier, we're going to get into the Crimson Tide. Who can beat them? Will they lose a football game as we go forward? We'll talk about that when Ball About the South continues. So we're back, uh, second segment here of episode four of Ball About the South. And we're going to get into a little bit of the HBCU ranks right now. We had a couple, uh, really one conference game in the SWAC. And that game was on last Thursday night with Cookman playing host to Alabama A&M. Alabama, Alabama A&M being the uh, champions uh, coming off of the spring season. Bethune-Cookman uh, basically coming in with FAMU from the Miac into the SWAC. They, uh, it turned out to be a really really good football game, despite the fact that A&M jumped out kind of like Alabama did in their game against Florida. Alabama-A&M jumped out 27-13 in that football game. They were leading at halftime. And we know how alabama a ms offense is rocked and rolled. I mean, this alabama AM offense is the best or at least one of the best in the SWAC, one of the best in all of HBCU football, and I, and in my opinion, probably one of the best in FCS football as well. And you know, they they put up those twenty-seven points really quick, and then they got really stagnant in the second half. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to that for to um, Bethune-Cookman their uh, their defensive, uh, you know, their schemes or whatever they really made some adjustments there second half and only gave up that one field goal late in the, in the fourth quarter that kind of sealed the deal for Alabama A&M. Uh, again, kind of looking back at that football game a little bit, it was really sloppy. That's the thing that I noticed. It did rain some in that football game. Alabama Alabama and m put the ball on the ground far too many times. They had far too many penalties. And uh they allowed Thune Cookman to hang around a little bit, and I think a little longer than probably should have. Uh, you look at you know some of the stats in that game, Akil Glass, you know the quarterback for Alabama A and M. He uh, threw for 234 yards. You know, a pretty good game for him. That's you know that's kind of average, <laughs> maybe even below average for him. And again, I, I probably stressed the, I've stressed this in prior episodes. You got to see this dude play if you have not seen him. You um, uh, you know, chances are you probably had Tampa Bay and uh, not Tampa Bay. That was two weeks ago. Uh, you more than likely, had the um, uh, the Thursday night game, Washington and um, the New York Giants on last week. But you know, while this game was being played on ESPN, and you know, the Swat game is or uh, HBCU game is going to be played. I think most Thursdays. I'm not sure if it's going to be every Thursday in that time slot, around that 7, 8 o'clock slot or whatever. But most Thursday nights, you're going to catch an HBCU game on there. And that game was A&M and Bethune-Cookman last week. And, uh, again, I just think you got to check out this dude, Keel Glass. Uh, Glass made some just crazy throws last week. And uh, this dude has the speed. He has all of those good things. So, if you haven't checked him out, man, he is – a Definite NFL prospect. Now, I'm talking about this dude. I think should go in the first two or three rounds, in my opinion. That's just the way I see it. And so uh, he had a good enough game, but I thought um, the, you know, the thing that really kind of iced the game for Alabama and M while they were kind of, you know, their defense was, you know, Bethune Cookman was challenging them with their offense and making a comeback. I thought the running game of uh, Gary Quarles was the thing that kind of, you know, iced the game for him. He had some key first downs, um, key first down runs there in the second half. He ended up over 100 yards. And uh, actually, my, my game ball for the HBCU ranks, we've given out one to Akil Glass so far. We gave out one to Shadur Sanders last week. My third game ball for the HBCU is going to go to Gary Quarles, the running back there at Alabama a and He had 27 rushes, 102 yards. You know, uh, just about four yards a carry. Now, I know that's not fantastic numbers. He did have a touchdown as well. But like I said, I thought it was the timing of the runs that kind of put that game away. And again, it was the only conference game as well. It was the only swat game. We're going to get into a lot more swat on swat, meak on MEAC games as we come get into next week. Well, this coming weekend, actually. Uh, there was one MEAC game, Hampton. Uh, beat Howard forty-eight to thirty-two. That game, I did not catch all of that game. I caught a good bit of it, as you can tell. Forty-eight thirty-two. Those teams were going up and down the field. Both those offenses were uh, high octane as well. So, yeah, good start to those two games. But we're gonna really get deeper into the HBCUs as we get deeper into conference play. And I think, yeah, it's gonna get a lot more exciting. Man, as we see those teams that, you know, the influx of teams, FAMU. Uh, Bethune, Cookman, get into the SWAC, and uh, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. We're going to try to get into some more, into deeper games as well, like the SIAC, the S-I-A-C, you know, Tuskegee and Miles College and all of those. We'll try to get into those as we go further as well. I wanted to just make just one quick comment. Uh, Deion Sanders made some comments about you know, the HBCUs playing these money games against, like, the, you know, the Power Five teams and everything. Um, <laughs> I think, while you know, I agree with a lot of what he said. And basically, he was, uh, you know, kind of on the tip of, like, he, you know, all money is not good money. Okay? And while I definitely agree with that, I mean, you, you know, the, uh, HBCUs going into, you know, places like Georgia or Alabama or, well, actually not Alabama, because to be honest with you, I don't remember Alabama playing in HBCU, which, you know, I'm not really understanding what's up with that. But Auburn, uh, Auburn just played Alabama State a couple of weeks ago. They played Alabama A&M. They played Alabama State in the past. Um, You know, Miami, I know, was one team that played FAMU on a regular basis, seemed like So, Dion was saying that all money is not good money because we go in there and, you know, get basically get your brains beat in. (laughs) You get beat and get blown out. Yeah, you get the money for it, but is that really helping your program? You know, and again, I I get where he's saying, where he's coming from, but for me, I don't think you just just stop playing those games. A a lot of people think that, you know, it, it would be, you know, they're not getting the respect that they deserve, you know, getting blown out or whatever. But my thing is how are you going to get respect if you just kind of duck and hide and not play the game? Okay. You know, I mean, that's just my opinion on it. I mean, you know, again, I think we have a lot more things, you know, it's, you know, looking at as far as from an HBCU standpoint, I think we have a lot more things to worry about. I mean, look at, you know, we've only had two FCS playoff teams that I can think of two out of all the years that there have been F- FCS playoffs. There have been two that have qualified. And uh, both those times, if I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaken on that, but I think it's been NCA and T both those times. And I'm like, if you know, I think we need to sit here and think about that first, first and foremost before we get into talking about well, what we shouldn't do, or whatever, against like the Power Fives. I mean, we've got to be a competitive at the FCS level. I mean, and there's no reason that we should not be. I mean, this the Celebration Bowl is great. It's been it's being very lucrative. It's it's getting more lucrative as we go. Uh, it's on a it's in a good spot there on ABC. I think every year now, and so and it's getting a lot of visibility on all of that. So that's great. Don't get me wrong, but by by our teams not making making this the city FCS playoffs, that's basically saying we're not even competing with the FCS teams, the top teams in the in in the uh, football uh, championship series subdivision. So we've got to sit there and get that straight first. And um, you know, you know, kind of you know did a little digging, I did a little research. Just for example, Jacksonville State. The same team that just pulled off the upset there in Tallahassee against Florida State, very same team. They have an enrollment of about ninety five hundred as of this year, the fall semester. Jackson State, in comparison, has ninety eight hundred. Okay, so you know, you know, with Neon with Dion coming in, Coach Prime coming in, the uh, visibility of HBC, HBCU football has been at a high, you know much higher rate than usual. and it is, it, is, it is increasing and that's a great thing. but you know with those you know with those enrollment figures being pretty much the same, Jackson State should be on that level. We should be on the level with a team like Jacksonville State and be able to compete a little bit better with some of the teams. in the the FBS, okay? Now, look, Florida State is not a good football team, okay? (laughs) They're they're just not. But at some point, we've got to get to a point where we're competitive with the FCS. And, uh, you know, right now, I can argue that from a, you know, we're not (laughs) – we're not. So I, I just think, you know, again, I, I understand what Dion is saying. All money is not good money. But, you know, I think a lot of these kids, man, especially a kid like Akil Glass, you can't tell me he wouldn't want to go to Tuscaloosa and play Alabama and see what he can do against a defense like that or go to Georgia or go to Ohio State. You know, I think those kids, you know, again, they don't, I don't think they care. I mean, I don't think the competitive spirit in these kids is saying, look, I don't want to play that game. I might get hurt. Oh, I don't want to play that game. I'm not good enough. No, I, don't, I just don't think they think that way. So that's just my thoughts on that. Let me know what you think, man. You know, if you can leave me a comment, follow me on Twitter as well, at CWood on sports. And we also have at, um, Ball South Pod on Twitter as well, and of course, if you are listening on the platform where you can leave a comment, we can leave a comment. Please do so as well. Let me know what you think about that. Anyway, uh, yeah. I and mean, speaking of Shadur Sanders and Jackson State, they had a really good opportunity against Louisiana Monroe. That turned out to be a really good football game. in Jackson State, the Tigers, led most of the game. Unfortunately, they the kind of let it get away losing that game twelve to seven. They led seven six going into the fourth quarter. A couple key turnovers, one of them the interception by Sanders there in the fourth quarter. Uh, gave uh ULM a couple short fields and and unfortunately that was all she wrote. But really you know look good performance by Jackson State in that football game. I thought it was a good performance and uh I just couldn't get enough you know plays there late they scored that game they scored on the touchdown there in the second in the second quarter. And uh, they just could not get anything going after halftime. So, Sanders again, though. So, another strong game. And this dude showed his elusiveness. He showed that he can throw the ball uh, on the run outside the pocket. He was good inside the pocket. Uh, I mean, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of this dude. And, again, that Jackson State defense to me is legit. I, that is going to be a fun football game when, when Jackson State gets to play Alabama in and later this season. I'm, I cannot wait. I think right now I'd have to say those are t- two teams. Just looking for what we've seen so far, maybe those teams are the two best teams in the SWAC. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of that. And uh, anyway, we're going to take a, another quick timeout. We're going to get into Alabama. We're going to take a quick look at them, who can beat them going forward. I'm not really sure, but I'm going to give you a few ideas when I get back. This is Ball About the South. y'all we're back ball about the south uh the uh podcast episode number four moves on and man i'm glad y'all could join me like i said earlier i really appreciate it um uh, i kind of talked about alabama really quick earlier in the show and uh want to get back into them man talking about well where would they lose a football game will they lose a football game here as we go forward here in the 2021 college football season. Um, again, I, I think there's, you know, they have a lot better chance of losing one than a lot of people might think. And I think uh, definitely a lot better chance of losing one than people thought before Saturday afternoon happened in the swamp. You know, they come out game one at over there in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and they jump out the first four or five times they have the football against Miami. And they they put the ball, in, you know, they they score each time. Uh, I think you know, just really just going up and down the field against the U, a top fifteen team at the time. The thoughts that everyone had at that time was, yeah, you know, this is uh, this is another Bama blowout, which it turned out to be. I mean, it was another Bama blowout. The U looked totally overmatched and you know the thought was, okay, this is a top 15 team. They're in the ACC. A lot of people are, you know, expecting some big things from Miami this season. If this is what Alabama's going to look like, I mean, you know, uh new out three, three new offensive linemen across the front, new quarterback, new running backs, new wide receivers. I mean, basically three starters returned <laughs> off of that football team that won that national championship last season. And they come out and don't miss a beat. <laughs> and so that you know that was the thought, game one. But, you know, if you really kind of look closer to that football game, you was known that Miami probably wasn't quite as good as a lot of people had them to be. And especially on the defensive side of the ball, you saw a lot of missed assignments. You saw a lot of uh, bad angles, you know, bad tackling angles from their secondary and their linebackers. And, uh, you know, a lot of coverage mistakes and all that good stuff. So, and Alabama took advantage of it. That's not to say what Alabama did wasn't impressive, but I don't think it was quite as impressive as it may have looked. And now we're seeing that Miami is still struggling. Uh, They have one win on the season that was over Appalachian State, and they only won that one, I think, what, 28-23. So, fast forward to last weekend there in the Swamp, Alabama jumps out twenty-one to three again, and I'm sure the thought process everyone's thinking they're sitting there watching this football game is like, yeah, it's another Bama blowout, <laughs> right? And again, Florida had a totally different idea of what was going to take place that Saturday afternoon, and um, again, I, I just think that. Some of, the, you know, some of the thought process of the players is the same pro same thought process that the fans had. I think when they got 20, they got up 21 to 3, I'm not going to say they thought the game was over, but I think they relaxed a little bit. And that's not, you know, it's not taking anything away from Florida. We all know what Dan Mullen can do offensively. We all know that he has been the QB the QB guru. uh you know, look at all the quarterbacks that he has brought along, including, of course, Dak Prescott, who right now is looking like one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, he schemes offensively as well as anyone does. So Alabama, you know, once he got – once Florida got going, once they got some confidence about them, they made it 21-9 to there at the half, they were able to carry that momentum into the second half – and Alabama was never really able to get that momentum back. So, you know, that momentum can it can be a crazy thing sometimes, especially when you're looking at a crowd of about ninety thousand fans that are screaming, screaming their lungs off right in your face. So that's what Alabama faced Saturday. That's not to make excuses for them, but I think some of the overreaction from Alabama, and really, to be honest with you, the the overreaction nationally has not been you know it's pretty much been minimal in my opinion the overreaction has been within the Alabama fan base <laughs> i mean it's been within which is totally ridiculous it's it's you know i'm an alabama fan i've made no bones about that here on this podcast but i try to be as objective as i possibly can uh look here man this fan base is embarrassing at times i'm just going to put it out there i mean it, it is totally embarrassing it Uh, Leave it to, you know, if you listen to this fan base on Twitter, you know, various message boards, wherever you, you know, wherever you look at sports on your social media and all that good stuff, even in the news, you'd have thought Alabama not only lost that football game Saturday to Florida, you'd have have thought they were playing Florida International, (laughs) Florida Atlantic, or even Florida State, (laughs) Right. It, uh, you know, you would have thought they were playing that game. Not only did they lose it, you would have thought they were playing one of those teams instead of the 11th-ranked team in the country in front of 90,000 fans. I mean, and it's just its just ridiculous. This is the same team that, you know, has lost two games in the last two seasons and three in the first three games this season. They went 13-0 and last year, 10-0 and in the regular season against all SEC opponents. They win the uh, SEC championship game, so that's 11-0. and 0. Then they win the two games to win the national championship. 13-0, and, 0, and they, went, uh, they only lose twice the year prior, 2019, which just happened to be one of the best teams we've ever seen, the LSU Tigers of 2019, who went on to dominate and win the national championship. The other loss was a two-point loss with the backup quarterback, Mac Jones, <laughs> at Auburn. <laughs> By two points, 48-46. Those are the only two losses in close to two years now. And in, in Alabama, a lot of Alabama fans' eyes, it's time to fire the defensive coordinator. Uh, there need to be players benched. Nick Saban is losing it. You know, he's losing – uh, grasp of how to coach defense. He's losing grasp of how you know this football team and all that good stuff. Really, <laughs> I mean it, it's it, it's it's mind boggling, you know, And it's 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 ridiculous. It's, it is in you know it's embarrassing to look at this fan base on a week to week basis. Although I'm an Alabama fan and I'm i pr- I'm proud of that. I've been an Alabama fan. For 40 years. (laughs) Close to it. Yeah, 40 years. And, you know, I've been through the – I'm not no fly-by-night fan. I mean, I'm not one of these, uh, you know, one of these fans that popped up here in the Nick Saban era. I went through uh, Ray Perkins after Bear Bryant left. Uh, Bill Curry, me and the, the Gene Stallings years were really good. Then to, to Dubose and you know strip club uh, Mike Price, <laughs> then the Shula years, which you know in my opinion the Shula years were a lot better than a lot of people give them credit for. Alabama, no, they were not nationally. You know they had you know, lost that luster, they had lost that prominence nationally. No question about it. But he kept that program afloat while they were on probation. And, then you know, enough where when Nick Saban got here in 2006, 2007, the cover wasn't bare at all. So, I think Alabama fans coming down on Mike Shuler saying, oh, he was a failure are totally clueless about that. So, the fan base has been the issue, man, more so than anything else. But, again, you know, going forward, I think you sit there and look at this football team, obviously games that pop off of the schedule, Everyone looked at Texas A&M. They circled that game because it's being played at uh, College Station there at Kyle Field. Everyone looked at Texas A&M being a top-six team in the country coming into the season. Yeah, yeah, obviously still that's a threat, but I don't think it's as much of a threat as it was because the Aggies have some major quarterback problems. Zach Calzada, who who took over for Haynes King, is not looking – you know looked okay but you know I, I don't think i think there's definitely uh room for improvement i think you look at their offensive line i think there are issues there they have the weapons i mean they have the skill players you look at uh Isaiah Spiller you look at Aniah Smith you look at um uh, their tight end uh who who's really uh a guy that can beat you down the seams and everything they they have everything that you need and they're pretty good defensively as well they're good enough defensively and every they're good enough at every other position except offensive line and qb when it comes to in my opinion winning the national championship or at least being a national championship contender i think and if you don't have those two things though i just don't know how even with alabama maybe not being a team right now that's clicking on all cylinders, I'm not really sure how you pull that off. I think you look further down the line, you look at LSU. I mean, I think you have to go to, go to LSU to find another team that may hang in. Maybe Mississippi State, they're starting to play better. They were robbed in that game at Memphis the other day. They should be undefeated. Um, and, of course, Auburn. I mean, you know, look, Auburn at the end of the year is always going to be a tough game. And that game is in Auburn. If it was in Tuscaloosa, then you'd look at it totally different. But it doesn't matter, man. You know, Bo Nix, we talked about him earlier. He could have 50 yards passing the next 10 weeks. <laughs> when he goes against Alabama, he'll have 350, 300, 400 yards. <laughs> you know, and the game will go right down to the wire, just like it always does in Auburn. So right now, the team, that, for me, that – Really poses the biggest threat of the Ole Miss Rebels, and they, ironically, Alabama gets them inside Brian Denny Stadium next Saturday, two thirty. Matt Corral is the real deal, and this this is nothing. Um, me saying that about him, it's nothing that's just come up here. It's kind of a hot take. Seeing the oh man, Ole Miss is three and oh Ole Miss is scoring in bunches. Oh, uh, Matt Corral had seven touchdowns the other day. This is, you know, Maceral is, you know, it's caught my eye early last season. As a matter of fact, they uh, Ole Miss put up forty-eight points on Alabama last year in, in Oxford. So this Ole Miss team is, is, is offensively there. We know there's nothing wrong with them. There, Lane Kiffin is going to have that team ready. They're going to spread you out. They're going to come guns blazing. We all know that. The issue has been their defense, but their their defense looks a lot better now. I understand it's been Louisville and it's been Tulane, and I think the other team they played was Austin Peay. I get it, but uh, just looking at you know just this kind of you know looking at them a little bit deeper, I really looked at that game against Louisville really deep. I saw Louisville put up some points in, uh, on Central Florida last week. They didn't put up points on Ole Miss. So I think this Ole Miss defense has improved. I think Ole Miss poses the biggest threat right now. I just really do. I mean, besides Georgia. Because in, but the thing about Georgia, the thing about Georgia, they're not going to spread you out like Ole Miss is. Okay? They, uh, I still have a, a few questions about Georgia offensively. They look good. I mean, they're throwing the deep ball. They they had some long touchdown passes against UAB. They had some more against South Carolina the other day. They looked a lot more explosive. We know about their running game. And, of course, we know about their defense. They probably have the deep best defense in the SEC. But we all know it all comes down to, you know, you've got to score some points usually. And can you get to at least 30 against Alabama? That is that That's just the key. You've got to at least get to 30. sometimes, who knows, bailed by later in the season, you might be at a point where you're going to have to get to at least 35 or 40. Can Georgia get there? Ole Miss can get there, in my opinion. I'm not sure about Georgia. So we'll see how that works. That's just my thoughts on the Alabama Crimson Tide going forward. Uh, going to be very interesting. Looking really quick at a couple games this weekend in the SEC the, really, the huge game, Texas A&M and Arkansas there in Dallas. I'm not sure about that game. I'm not sure what to think about that game. The more I think about it, the more I look at that football game, the more I favor Arkansas. And, and for a lot of the reasons I just spoke about, about the Aggies. Arkansas is a tough football team. Sam Pittman, look, I mean, they're showing – maybe to be more talented than I think anyone thought that they actually were. K.J. Jefferson has really turned himself into a good quarterback, the dual threat guy, man. Uh, he's he's doing the thing, his thing with his feet, but he's also making timely passes. That football team uh, has more explosion in that offense than I really thought that they would. Uh, I think A&M is, is definitely on upset alert this coming Saturday, and that's, you know, calling it an upset when you're looking at Arkansas being ranked 16th right now and A&M ranked 7th really is not an upset, I guess. But when you think about where these teams came from, no one had Arkansas, you know, doing this. I think Arkansas has a shot to win that football game. I'm, I'm going to have to sleep on it a little bit more. Follow me on Twitter again at c On sports and uh, kind of get my final thoughts on that football game as we get closer to Saturday. Um, you know, really, that's the, again, that's the big game across the SEC. Kentucky's at South Carolina, that's an important game in the East. Kentucky, you know, kind of slept, you know, they had a sleepwalk period the other day in their game, um, barely winning. Uh, and again, it looked like a you know, coming off a big win over uh, Missouri the week before. They kind of you know they they let things kind of get a little bit too close, and um uh, they were barely able to escape with a victory. I think Kentucky will be a lot more ready this weekend coming up uh, again, but South Carolinas looked a lot better than we thought as well, even though they got blown out last week against Georgia that's you know you know, that's expected, but uh yeah, that should be an interesting game there. In Columbia, South Carolina. I'm looking forward to that one as well. And, um, yeah, man, so, you know, pretty much everyone else, Alabama's playing Southern Miss there. You know, Conference USA matchup right there. That's not a really um, anything to, you know, hopefully, if you're an Alabama fan, that shouldn't be a big deal. Auburn steps back, you know, they stepped back from going to Penn State in that big game last week. Now, they, uh, Play Georgia Southern out of the Sun Belt, you know Georgia State. I'm sorry, Georgia State out of the Sun Belt, which you know that again that it is what it is. Now, not much going on in the SEC besides A&M and Arkansas. That is the huge game of the weekend, and uh, we're definitely going to be tuned into that one. Uh, looking at some of the games across the NFL. AFC South. We talked a little bit about Tennessee and, and the, uh, well Indianapolis visiting Tennessee. Uh, Will Carson Wentz be able to play? I don't think so. So we're looking at Jacob Eason being the guy in that game. Um, you know, again, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, Indianapolis needs that game very badly. Obviously, they could be looking at zero and three, and then uh, you know, losing the divisional game at the same time uh the game uh so we'll see how that rolls. We will look at the big games in the NFC South. Again, well, well, we'll look at the Texans. They have their game against the uh the Carolina Panthers tomorrow night. Uh that should be an interesting game. You would think the Carolina Panthers should have a distinct advantage. Uh obviously they're a lot you know, they're a little bit better health right now than the Texans. You know the Deshaun Watson thing, and now of course Tyrod Taylor going down. It's hard to see Houston winning that game. So I would, I would definitely expect Carolina to go to three and O, which would be pretty doggone good. I don't know if anyone would have thought that. Um, you know, uh, another game there, really the bigger game in the NFC South, the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots. How about Mac Jones going up against Tom Brady? I'm sorry, not what am I talking about? Not how about Mac Jones going up against Jameis Winston? <laughs> I'm looking for you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for that game as well. But Mac Jones and, and Jameis Winston, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think we're looking at a, um, a game where it's probably going to be really low scoring. Um, New England right now, they're not taking many chances with Mac Jones. But you know what? In a way, they really haven't had to. And they they had they were in position to win the Miami game. Damian Harris ended ended up fumbling the ball late in the game. Down uh, they were in scoring range where they could have taken the lead right there. Um, you know they 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 really didn't haven't had to have him throw the ball downfield. They didn't need it against against the Jets as Zach Wilson. You know and that and that's kind of ironic how that worked out. Zach Wilson, the fellow rookie quarterback with the Jets through four interceptions, and, you know, he was recklessly recklessly throwing the football into traffic. And uh, the, it was just a totally ugly performance. So New England kind of playing it close to the best right now is just – I think it's the best thing for Mac Jones. I think it's the best thing for the Patriots as a whole right now. They, I mean, they haven't had to push the envelope, and they may not have to push the envelope again this Sunday against New Orleans. Yeah, so we'll look for, um, you know, better things going forward here with Mac Jones. We'll see just how he progresses as the, uh, you know, as the season goes on. Looking at other games, we'll uh, kind of jump over to the NFC South. That's there's a you know pretty big game in my opinion, New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots, and I think this is where I I had kind of, I guess kind of the brain fart. Kind of got a little tongue-tied talking about Mac Jones was playing Tom Brady this weekend. It's not this weekend. Mac Jones, again, playing the New Orleans Saints. The game I'm thinking about, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the L.A. Rams. Matthew Stafford will be playing against Tom Brady. (laughs) And I think that's going to be a pretty good duel. Uh, The Rams looking pretty strong in their first two games. Uh, two uh, beating the Bears on that Sunday night football and then beating Indianapolis there in Indy last Sunday. Looking pretty impressive. And, again, I've, I have the Rams winning the NFC West. Uh, again, it's, I think it's a really it was, you know, slightly over the 49ers and the Seahawks. But, nonetheless, I think that uh, Matthew Stafford could be the difference. Now, the difference between Matthew Stafford this season and Jared Goff the last few seasons. Of course, I mean again, know Jared Goff did lead them to a Super Bowl. Okay, so that's not to say he couldn't have gotten them back there, but I just think where those two quarterbacks are right now, I think that Matthew Stafford could be the difference of getting the Rams again to win that division, and then to uh, you know the difference between them being a wild card team last season where they were bounced in the first round to a team that goes a lot deeper this season and becomes a Super Bowl contender. So that's just kind of my thoughts on that. The Buccaneers, of course, you know, Super Bowl champs. Uh, we'll see what they have for the Rams on Sunday afternoon. Tom Brady is is looking the part. And mean, it's, it's un- unbelievable this dude has been in the league 22 years. And really, the maybe even the crazier part of that that football game takes place in L.A., Tom Brady, this would be his first game ever in Los Angeles. Now, you know, I get it. L.A. has uh, not had had many teams and all of that. They haven't had an NFL team in all these years. But that is insane to sit there and think a guy, you know, Tom Brady has not ever played a game in L.A., at least not, you know, there's never been a Super Bowl in L.A., of course. I guess that'll change with the new stadium there and everything, but man, that is insane to think about, <laughs> you know, the goat is a lot of A lot of people are going to call him. And I mean, I can't argue with them. I mean, my goat was Joe Montana until we saw Joe, uh, Tom Brady do what He did a couple of seasons ago. And then of course, come back and do it again last year when the Super Bowl at this age is ridiculous. So, Yeah, that's going to be a great football game. I think everyone's looking forward to that. I know that I am. Of course, we're going to come back. We'll recap it next week as we uh, get into the new episode of Ball About the South again. Uh, So, again, a lot to look forward to this weekend, man. Really looking forward to all these football games coming up. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me for a little while again. It has been fun, as always. Uh, we're just kind of getting this thing started. We're going to move this thing ahead. We're going to add some things to the show. We've got a lot to look forward to. We've talked pretty much all football the last couple of weeks. We're going to get into some baseball here in the next week or two as the regular season closes out. The Atlanta Braves and Tampa Bay Rays should be good to go for the playoffs. The Tampa Bay Rays already are clinched. Uh, for the playoffs they should be clinching the division here shortly as well so they you know Tampa Bay should be good to go the Atlanta Braves kind of the same deal but they're going to you know they have to wait a little bit longer to clinch the division and all of that but uh, they should be right where they need to be when the playoffs start and we're going to be right where we need to be covering those playoffs as well because it's going to be an exciting time I'm looking forward to uh, October it's going to be really great and then can you believe we're only about a month away from the NBA tipping off? Man, it's it's crazy how fast this whole season, this whole uh, this this year has gone. It's gone by. I mean, I mean, it is almost gone. So we'll be sitting there talking about the NBA here in just a month. Or so. To get ready for that, we'll do some previews, especially of the NBA Southeast and Southwest divisions, especially of the teams right here in this vicinity the Atlanta Hawks, the Memphis Grizzlies, New Orleans Pelicans, all of those teams. But we'll talk a little Orlando Magic, you know, them being in the Southeast division. We'll talk a little Houston Rockets, them being in the Southwest division with the New Orleans Pelicans. The, the Rockets are actually my favorite team. So that's kind of be right up my alley. And uh, we'll get all of that going here in the next few weeks. as we get closer and closer to tip off of the 2021 NBA season. Again, I want to thank you. Uh, Please like subscribe, do all those things. Let someone know. If you do like the show, let someone know about it. Hit me up with that five star rating on Apple podcast. And man, I just really appreciate you tuning in and we'll be back at you next week. Same time around the same time. (laughs) And, uh, Ball about the South is out. Appreciate it.